0: Ending small business failure. Welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with the number one small business expert, Melinda Emerson. Melinda's goal is to end small business failure and she'll give you the information you need to succeed and live the life you dream of. Now here's your host, the Small Biz Chat Lady herself, Melinda Emerson.
1: Have you subscribed to the Small Biz Chat Podcast? Well, it's time. Every Wednesday, we offer listeners bite-sized actionable tips to start and grow a successful small business. And just 20 minutes or so a week, you can get a ton of insight and resources to propel your business forward. Be sure to subscribe to the Small Biz Chat Podcast today. Hi, everybody. Thank you all for joining us on the Small Biz Chat Podcast. Hopefully you're watching us on my Small Biz Lady YouTube channel or on my Small Biz Lady Facebook page. Be sure to share and like and leave a comment. Or if you have an idea for a topic for an upcoming episode, leave that for us as well. We want to make sure we give you what you need to succeed in business. Now it's time for me to introduce my guest matt ryder he's a former special forces serviceman founder of sales sniper and currently serves as the ceo of the seventh level group matt's rapid ascent in high ticket sales showcased his unique approach which was his adoption of nepq the seventh level method which quickly propelled him to a consistent 100k per month within 90 days with a global reach Matt oversees sales teams and are passionately ensures broad access to transformative training. His CEO role at Seventh Level reflects his commitment to empowering individuals in all aspects of life through valuable tools, training, and strategies. For more information, go to seventhlevelhq.com. Matt, welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast.
2: Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I really appreciate you because you're joining us all the way from Australia. So I know it's early where you are. So I had to turn you... the
2: camera upside down and everything.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about you. How did you become this this sales beast? Right.
2: Um. Yeah. So I, I was in I was in special. Uh. You know. I was in high school and then uh, went to university. I was I was going to be a doctor. And then uh, decided about six months in that I I would rather join the army, much to my parents' um, chagrin. And then so uh, dropped out, joined the military, and then um, ended up going into special operations and then became a sniper. Uh, Did that for a number of years and got deployed and did the thing that young 20-year-old men do in the military. And then from there, when I got out, sort of opened uh I went and became a personal trainer because when you get out of the military, you've only got two options, become a cop or a personal trainer. So I chose personal trainer, right? Um, and then uh, after that, ended up opening up a gym, ended up opening up uh, 17 more of them with a sort of like small conglomerate of business partners. Um, we had, uh, yeah, we had like 120 staff. Then from there, I became a relatively disenfranchised with how the business was sort of uh, Operating in terms of its its sort of uh, treatment of people and you know some some other things like that and so I basically sold my share sort of borderline walked away from it um, just before COVID and what I was doing in that organization was I was really focusing on the opening of the new uh, facilities and then doing all the sales and teaching the sales and, and and kind of ensuring that the the front end money kept coming in um, <clears throat> so I was selling basically for about 10 years I was selling probably 5 to 6 days a week for 7 to 8 hours a day um you know just making sure that we had enough memberships to come through and then from there when I when I transitioned out of that I started my own business because I didn't really have much I'd invested everything in the business we sort of sold but sort of walked away so we didn't get that much for it because I really wanted out and so we didn't have much money and my my wife was pregnant with my second child and so I was like well I guess I'll just do my own thing. Um, And so ended up sort of cold calling gyms and going like, hey, I'm pretty good at fitness sales. And they were like, yep. And so ended up uh, doing fitness sales for people's, you know, uh, and then I ended up sort of calling a lot of gyms and getting a lot of clients doing that um, because it's a very unique skill set selling fitness over the phone. There's not many people that can actually do it. Um, and, and, so after a while I ended up having a, like an international slew of clients and I was starting selling at five o'clock in the morning and then I would sort of time zone hop across the world. So I would, I would sell like uh, U.S. and then I would sell Australia and then I would sell back to U S and then to UK in the evening. And then I would come back in the morning and go back to Australia. So from like 5.00 AM, 6.00 AM to like 11 PM. Wow. Um, <clears throat> Hey, Sydney's an expensive place. So, um, you know, nice things cost nice things money. Right. So you got to do the things that you got to do. And then from there, ended up sort of uh, the marketing companies who were doing the sales for the gyms got in touch with me and they were like, hey, what are you doing? This is uh, unique. And they sent, sent me a lot of clients. And so I started building that side out. And then the marketing companies eventually came to me and asked me to do their sales for them. Um, and by this time, I had like a team of people and I was sort of building everything out the way that I wanted to build things out and setting everything up from an ecosystem standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, to where it was a relatively optimized machine and fairly profitable. And there weren't many leads that were getting wasted because I was used to spending my own money on leads, right? <laughs> so um, <clears throat> so then I started doing the sales for the marketing companies. And then like the business coaches, the marketing companies came to me like, what are you doing? And that's how I sort of got into like the more like higher ticket sort of uh, consultancy type space where I was like selling those kind of services. Um, when I was doing that, I became quite successful. I was doing fairly well. And then I ran into a guy called Jeremy Miner who had a like sort of sales methodology called NEPQ. Um, I, I, I paid him 80% of everything that I had to coach me. Um, and then uh, and then uh, over the course of about nine months, I, I sort of dove very deep and very obsessively into his methodology, be, became quite enamored with it because it was very different to what I was used to. It was very leaned out, very subtle, very uh, strategic. Um, but a phenomenal experience for the prospect. I saw my personal income go go a lot higher, go sort of into the seven figures as like a commission only closer. Um, and then started seeing my team do a lot better as well. And then eventually became his sales guy Then eventually um, became a business partner and CEO. And we've been, we've, we've been sort of doing the thing for a while now, um, you know, and that's, we, we have a couple of different, you know sales snipers to let that done for you side still still goes we do the sales for we're generally under an nda for some people that you definitely know mm-hmm. um uh so we sort of run the sales for them and we train manage uh develop the sales processes architect the system uh and then from there like we provide our own reps um you know to actually do that for them and it's like an external sales function and one of the good things is that at seventh level, we have a tremendous capability of finding sales reps. We average about four and a half to 5,000 new customers per month um, and a wide range of services. So like we we have a large ecosystem of salespeople. So wow. that's basically it. That's, that's it in a nutshell.
1: That sounds really impressive. So tell me, what are the elements of a strong sales process? You build sales process for companies, big and small. So what does everybody need to have?
2: Yeah, it, it's it's funny. Like I've built sales processes for banks, um, you know, for uh, you know, companies worth twelve billion dollars. And we've done it for companies that do fifty thousand dollars a month in revenue and sort of everything in between. And I think the key thing is that you you have to understand the the journey and the experience that the prospect's gonna go through. And then they it can't all be the same. Um I, I sort of go back and I think one of the reasons why I had a unique ability to to do this was because as a sniper, like, you know, you have to understand every variable because they're relatively important. So if you're like the direction you're shooting, the elevation you're shooting, the temperature outside, you know, the wind, the distance, etc. There are a lot of variables that would affect it. And so for me, every single time, no matter what I did, I always set up a tracking system to be able to minimize variables because I wanted to work on the things that were actually important. Um, whereas a lot of people, they they don't track and they don't set up data in a way where it's actually effective. They just set it up to have a pretty dashboard, look at it and then say, why don't I have enough money at the end of the month? But in reality, there are a lot of small nuances um, and small differences that um, setting up a sales process to accurately track and to have like a bespoke um, like a bespoke way uh, process for someone to go through, depending on where they came from. Like I'll give you an example, like you wouldn't treat an inbound lead the same way that you would treat a referral, the same way that you would treat an email, the same way you would treat a website inquiry. Like they can all go into similar pathways, but they it needs to be explored that there's a potential that they should be different. Um, some sales processes need to be intentionally extended to add friction points and potential drop-off in order to figure out what's going right and wrong. Some can, and then from there you can be shortened, right? Ideal, everyone just, you know, you pick up the phone or you meet person once and you get a bunch of money out of it. Like that's not reality. So what we need to do is find like, what is the right amount of time? uh, And uh, what are the things they need to experience in order to put the salesperson and the business in a position to be able to have a high uh, percentage or likelihood of converting the right people? Uh, which is another really important, so having really clear client avatars and stuff like that. But it's really about mapping out the ideal process, um, figuring out what they need to see, and then from there figuring out what are the friction points, so potential drop-offs, and then putting in a tracking system in place, and then uh, being able to then delineate the skill-based activities along the way and the process-based activities. I can give you a quick example of that. So let's just say we're doing outbound dialing and the and the, and then the prospect picks up and then we talk to them. So the outbound dial is obviously one thing. The pickup is another uh sort of like decision point they can pick up or they cannot pick up, right? There there's a plenty of things that you can do to increase pickup rate, you know, A2P compliance, local area dialing, speed to lead, et cetera. There there are a lot of things there that would affect the pickup rate. Um and then from there, if somebody picks up, there are three options. There's a voicemail. There's hey, please go away and don't ever call me again, or call me later. And then there's a conversation, right? The first one, the actual pickup, is a process based because there are things that you can do from a back end standpoint that would make that more effective. It's not a skill, okay? But then the, the the once someone's picked up, the conversation versus go away rate, that is a skill thing, and it's a skill that's specific to the opening line of the script. And so if someone, and that is a top of funnel sort of activity. And so if you get someone much better at that, they will have a tremendous amount more people that go through the entire process. Therefore, you'll make more sales by proxy without that person really having to get any better. And everyone's running around in sales training land, trying to get better at handling objections. But in reality, they have no idea what they're good at or bad at. And so a good sales process creates an ideal scenario for the prospect, but it also facilitates a system where a salesperson, a sales manager, and a business can identify the failings of the process and the failings of the individual who's doing it, and then put things in place to tangibly fix it step by step.
1: So you're saying that sometimes it's the system, sometimes it's the sales rep, but the point is you got to be tracking everything. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, I think I think the, the, the key is to make things probably unnecessarily complex in the beginning and then simplify them as you go. Um, you know, in, 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 in terms of your actual tracking. Like if you track everything, you can figure out what's not worth tracking. The issue is if you you don't know what's worth tracking. Um, and it's not that I know what's worth tracking, but I know how to figure out what is worth tracking over time. Like I never would have thought a year ago that, um, that the uh, total delinquency rate of credit cards in the United States would have affected my business. However, it does. Um, I've done the analysis, the two big things that really affect us as a business-to-consumer business of a high-volume clientele, one is housing prices and two is delinquency rates because recently a lot of funding people have brought in, uh, after speaking with our with with funding partners, they've brought in uh, debt-to-equity ratio as one of the key factors instead of just income and credit. So what does that mean to me? I can do an analysis and I can say, what are the highest... What are the lowest debt to equity ratio people in America? A lot of the time, it's like 29 to 39-year-old males. Why? Because they've just started their family. They just bought their house. They haven't paid any of it off, right? So in marketing, we, we can sort of start to use that to our advantage and we can start to put them down different pathways and, you know what I mean, sort of segment people out based on demographics because you get all that kind of stuff for marketing and then show people different things. And then you can have a higher efficacy rate of your sales because you're showing them a more appropriate product for the economic time. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I I didn't know that um, a year ago. Um, You know, and so after doing the analysis, you know, uh, is another one. I I wouldn't have thought that a two pay would have a lower fulfillment rate than a three pay, but it does by a fairly significant margin in our business. So Mm -hmm. we don't offer two pays. (laughs) Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's all, there's all kinds of stuff, like you just don't know what you don't know. And so by, by tracking as much as you can, and the good thing is with things like chat GPT these days, they have an automatic data analysis tool. And there's a few other things that you can, that you can do to, you know, streamline a few things if you don't have a large team like I do. Um, but you know, I think that the, like the more you can track and then sit down and spend the time and try and find some correlative patterns and, and think how a lazy man thinks, which is like, What's the least amount of things that I could possibly change to uh, to to have a really positive impact and influence on what's going on?
1: Hmm. Well, what about developing your sales goals? How do you suggest people go about doing that? Uh,
2: I I think it depends on the business, but if if I had to speak to like the sort of more like entrepreneur type person. I would say the the way that i recommend doing it is first of all what do you want to take out of the business that's a very important metric that people don't really talk about very much how much money do you want to make let's just say it's a like 500k whatever it is right i want to take one 500k all right cool what would the business need to make in order for me to do that given my historicals not like some pie in the sky number right and then from there like that becomes my revenue projection for the year right Um, and then i kind of work that back month by month, um, knowing this sort of growth curve, or if I'm not growing that year, if I am growing that year, and then from there, break that down line item by line item. Um, for me, what I do is I break that down and I create the forecast and the budget uh, based off that. And then uh, the sales targets that they usually get are about 5% higher than that. Um, depending on the size that, that, that we're sort of doing, it can be anywhere from two to five. Um, sometimes five is an awful lot of money and it just sort of becomes a little bit untenable but that's also the number that need to hit in order to get their bonuses so um uh yeah so like and 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 then that is a number that's deconflicted against like uh customer service to ensure that we can actually handle that volume of client um and 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 then we break that down as to sales targets per product and then that is what marketing uses in order to put together the the like segmented marketing budget and, uh, you know, so that we can sort of market the right products and services.
1: So let's talk about how to generate um, qualified lead. Cause there's yeah. a difference between a marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead. And how do, how do you get from sort of like top of the funnel to a sales qualified lead?
2: Uh, yeah, so I think the most important thing is understanding your client avatar for each product. So there's obviously a, like an overarching client avatar for the entire business. And then from there, they're like, if you have multiple products, obviously if you have one product, it's really simple, but like we have very, very defined and distinct uh, client avatars for each product. And that's based on, you know, survey data, focus groups that we've done with clients, et cetera, et cetera. And then also like, you know, payment fulfillment rates and all that kind of good stuff. And then from there we create uh marketing mechanisms to like disqualify. Um, the reason why we do that, because I don't want to tell everyone to do that, is because we have a tremendously high lead volume. Last last month, we generated 35,000 leads. And so, wow. like, we don't want 35,000 people, right? So, like, we have a disqualification form of marketing where we bring a lot of people in and then we push them out as we go. So, and then the sales qualified lead comes in, like, at a particular point, there's a handover where they can go down two options. One is that a person will call them to see if they're in the client avatar. And then if they are, they'll have a discussion with them and then send them off to a sales process. So they're like the sort of gray area people, or they have an application form that they'll fill out where um, depending on how they answer, they get sent different places. And so it's really all about defining a client avatar and then uh, figuring out uh, what the optimal amount of people is. and. The reason why you would change that, like I think that, that on a principled stance is a good way to do it. But you don't want to disqualify people, uh, a lot of people like we do, if you don't have an awful lot of leads. And if my lead flow dropped to, say, 10,000 leads, right, for, for like like for this month, I would push a lot more people through and have the sales team do the sifting instead of having the marketing team. And the less opportunity that you have, the further you push the sifting towards the sales the more opportunity you have the further away from the sales you push the sifting if that makes sense mm-hmm. um because you want to be full with the highest possible quality lead but be full so if there's one month where they're full of people who are a 2 out of 10 hey at least you're full and if there's one month where you're full with four out of four, with a with like a 9 out of 10 fantastic home run everyone's happy as larry um, so it's really a kind of variable metric that's, that's based on opportunity, um, but it's really important that those client avatars are dialed in so that you can have a very, very clear distinction of who should be sold what, and then have that conversation each sort of month or each quarter based on opportunity and volume on, on, on how you're pushing those people through.
1: Now I wanna switch gears with you a little bit and talk about how to hire a great salesperson. Cause I think this is a big challenge for a small business. Um especially because there's seasoned small business out op- small seasoned sales experts out here. There's newbies just out of school, you know, what is what is the best sort of like sales person avatar that you could go after?
2: Yeah, it's it's a difficult one because everybody wants uh, you know, sales killers. Um, right? But I think the first thing you should do is take an actual audit of what you're offering. And I know that you love your business and I know that like, that's great, but you probably aren't at a stage where a really good sales rep will consider you. Um, that's it, right? So um, like having been a, a very in demand salesperson myself, I would only choose the, the, the absolute, best. like if you only have one marketing channel, I would never sell for you right? Like if you're relying only on meta, sorry. If you don't have a comprehensive content strategy, sorry. If you don't have like uh, multiple tiered products, sorry. If I if I can't call your clients and have them have a good experience, sorry. Right? The reason being is because there are a hell of a lot more businesses than there are good salespeople, right? So uh, salespeople, for lack of a better term, are the hot chick at the bar. Um, and it will always be that way. Um, and so you want to set up your business to not require a rock star. And if you do, there's something wrong. So, um, and getting a rock star early can actually be a real problem. Um, I have been two businesses that I was the salesperson. And when I left, they went bankrupt Um, within about six to seven months because I was selling an awful lot of people. They made the assumption their marketing was good. And I would tell them, Hey, this marketing needs a real, a real revamp. This isn't good. I'm just good at creating a comprehensive strategy that, sort of picks up a lot of the slack for poor marketing but they didn't know what I was doing um because mm-hmm. I was doing it myself um and so I am because I've owned my own businesses and I'm very d- daughter and process driven and so and for me I I, I found it quite scary to put somebody else's like uh, to put my livelihood for my kids and my wife in somebody else's hands in the marketing department so I would do an awful lot of stuff to really generate more leads in the ecosystem and get the CRM and all, all, just do all kinds of things like that. Um, and, and so, uh, the, the the key would be like, do an assessment, figure out where you're at and don't set up for a unicorn. Because if you do get one and and you don't take the feedback of like, Hey, this marketing isn't good. Then you expect somebody else to come in. Then you make your KPIs what that person was doing. But Steph Curry be doing Steph Curry things. You know, you can't get a guy off the bench to come in and be Steph Curry. Like it just doesn't work that way. right? Right. And so, like you just give that guy the bow and he makes magic happen. Like that's just what it is. And if you get one of those guys early, it will it will destroy a few things because you will expect that forever and you'll be chasing it. And so set the business up to be appropriate for the level of rep that you want. A sales rep will not come in and design your sales process. It is not their job. And the person who can do that will leave quickly because mm. they're a rocket ship on the way up, right? So if you're expecting that, then just hire a professional to set up your sales process and then bring a person into a process that's cogent and makes sense. Um, the second thing is like, um, you know, figure out if you're going high reward, high risk or low reward, low risk. Are you going base plus commissions? Or are you going commission only? There's obviously, uh, 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 you know, there's, there's obviously HR considerations to that in, in terms of like what it is they're doing and where they're doing it. But um, you know, Most people who are really good are going to want a higher risk model because they back their skills. Um, And then from there, uh, it's about... um, So once you have that ecosystem, I like to interview. I don't think qualifications mean uh, much right now when it comes to sales, right? If they have any PQ, obviously they're better, right, (laughs) Um, uh, you know, which is what we sell. But. I like to give a little bit of pushback and tell the person I think that they're not right for the job, and see what happens. Hmm. Um, and then I, I, um, I also like to just ensure that they have the right attributes and that they're ethical and all that kind of stuff. And um, but it's very difficult to tell that. And you know, salespeople are like sort of used sports cars. They they can look really nice in the lot, but you know, it's not until you start driving it that you're really going to make sure. So I tend to overhire and then from there, like we cut back with salespeople, but definitely give them something that they need to object to. So I, I would say, hey man, like this has been a really good conversation. I just, I just I'm just not a hundred percent convinced that you're right for the, that you're right fit for the job. And then just see what happens. If they go, oh well, that's unfortunate, they're not a very good salesperson. If they <laughs> actually sort of like go, oh well, help me understand that. What do you and they actually go and try and like rebut and sort of handle your objection, then chances are it's worth giving them a shot.
1: I love it. I love it. When we come back on the Small Biz Chat Podcast, we're going to talk more about sales and how we can all get better. You're watching the Small Biz Chat Podcast. I'm Melinda Emerson, your host, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Melinda Emerson, Small Business Lady, and I want to welcome you to Small Business Lady University. Our mission here is to end small business failure. So all of the courses here are about two things, how to become your own boss or how to make money online. So that's what we do here. So whether you want to learn about email marketing and sales funnels, or you're ready to get started with social media selling, or if you're really just getting started with e-commerce, you might want to jump into our How to Sell and Market Online course. Either way, if you want to learn how to become your own boss and do it well, I have everything you need here at smallbizladyuniversity.com. If you have any questions or have any technical problems getting signed up, just email us at support at melindaemerson.com. Take care. Welcome back to the Small Biz Chat Podcast. I'm Melinda Emerson, your host, and we're talking with Matt Ryder about all things sales and how we can all get better. All right, Matt, talk to me about leads. Like how many leads should a professional service business, for example, be bringing in every week?
2: Um, Probably the exact amount that the data says they need to to hit their sales targets, I would say. (laughs) So... uh... It's it's actually it's actually a, like a format um have you ever heard the 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 term MIND uh it's most important numbers and drivers sort of usually goes along with KPIs and OKRs and all the other fantastic TLAs which stands for three letter acronym obviously um so um it's it's a really good system um that allows you to kind of figure out exactly all the numbers that need to be hit based off like historicals or some pretty good assumptions. And so it starts off with your revenue target, you know, uh, like we spoke about earlier. And then from there, let's just say, like, I'm going to break down from lead source A. Uh, Let's say we want to get, you know, we need to generate X amount of dollars, like a million dollars, right? And let's just say it's a $10,000 sale. uh, So I need to do what, like a thousand sales or something like that. I'm I'm not very good at math. So I'd be like, let's just say, I'm just going to go with 100 sales because easy. Now, if I need to make hundred sales, then uh, let's just say our closers, our sales team closes at 50%. So I need 200 sales calls to show up, okay? Then from there to get 200 sales calls to show up because we're not gonna have a 100% show up rate. I'm just gonna use another easy number. Let's say it's a 75% show up rate. So we have what, 300 bookings, right? So 300 bookings is 200 show up is uh, you know, or would that be 66%? Sorry. And then, and then, and then is a 50% close rate. So then, and then we make our 100 sales, right? So, um, and then from there, it'd be like, all right, cool. Uh, whatever, let's just say that they're, they're booking in straight from like a, you know, from a, like a application form. Well, how many people need to fill out the application form in order to get to 300 bookings? Let's just say it's 600. Okay. And then it's how many people need to get into, uh, like page A to see that application form. Let's just say it's uh, 3,000, okay? And then from there to get 3,000, to get to that application form, how many you know, people need to uh, click through to the ad to get to the page, right? And then from there, it's just a way backwards, like what's the click-through rate? And then from there, it's like, okay, well, what's our average uh, cost per click? So now we have a budget for that particular campaign. How often do we have to rotate the ad creative? On a high spend month, you have to rotate ad creative a lot, right? Like I think last month we spent $846,000 on paid advertising. So um, like that, there's a lot of ad creative that goes into that because we had a particularly high month because of a like an event, we had like 20, a 20,000 person event. So, um, So, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And so then from there, you basically have from that channel based off your historicals, Exactly how many people you need to get through the sale process, and then exactly how many people, how many leads you need in order to facilitate that. And so it goes back to what we were talking about before. You just want to be full. Um, and so be as full as you can be. And I don't like to delineate really good leads and bad leads because, you know, especially if it's a financial qualification, because money is title. There are times where I've been quite doing quite well. There are times when I've not been doing well. There's also times when I'm doing well where I have more cash or less cash, depending on investment, reinvestment, like whatever it may be, right? And so I like to create pipelines and conversations are one of the best ways to do that. And I don't think that uh, one of my biggest bugbears and fire anybody or don't hire anybody that says this, who says that, like, oh, those leads aren't worth my time. It's like, first of all, everyone's of the same value. I don't care how much money you have, that really doesn't have a bearing on how much value you have as a person. And second of all, like, you know if i'd talk to them why wouldn't you it's like you know they might buy in six months and if your product or service is genuinely a net good uh, and, it, and it really helps people because all businesses just kind of either fulfill an emotional need or solve a problem and hopefully do it at a profit um, then give that person the opportunity to, to see what you do because you might solve a serious problem and maybe they can't buy it there and then it doesn't mean that they can't buy it in three six or twelve months and that's how successful businesses and sales people create pipelines of lots of people who want to, who want to uh, do business with them because they are talking to people and they are out there. And, you know, um, the more people you talk to, the more likelihood you have of, of, of having people um, either think you're a moron or think you're good enough at your job to where they want to do business with you.
1: All right, Matt, tell me the best business advice you've ever been given.
2: Um, Oof. Uh so my one one of my one of my mentors or my, my main mentor is a guy is a guy called Kim Manley who was the CEO of Smirnov. Um and um he he the best advice he ever gave me was that you will never make truly good business decisions until you are independently wealthy of the business. Mm. Um and so that that really stuck with me because I think like the I was very much in the in the mode for a long time of this constant reinvestment back into the business of all the money because I I had this vision of like creating this monster. And listen, I have a pretty big business. Um, However, during that time, like the amount that I foregoed personally, I think looking back was um, over the top and the only people who really benefited, the only people who that really detracted from was my family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, and also what and also like my staff and myself as well, because because I need the business for money, it's very difficult for me to make the right decision for the business. Um, There's a reason why Bob Iger is worth six hundred and ninety million dollars. The reason why CEOs are paid so much money and it's 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 a lot of it is really to insulate their need for the money. If you are paid fifty million dollars a year, you are pretty good three months in, right? Right? Like you are you are pretty fine. And so, if you need the business for money, you will always make a more employee mindset decision. Mm-hmm. So, uh, once I sort of, once I sort of, at least for me, figured that out, I was able to structure the business in a way where I was able to make um, a, a good, very, I would say, healthy amount of personal income. Um, bring it to someone who really knows what they're doing, you know, like a wealth management uh, person. And then from there, you know, generate a, a pretty significant income outside um, of the business, which which then freed me up to really make fairly, you know, money agnostic business decisions, um, which has sort of, you know, taken me from working 50 to 60 hours a week to working 20 to 25 and having the business be kind of more efficient than whatever has been and profitable. So...
1: Love it. Love it. Matt, thank you so much for being here all the way from Australia. I so appreciate you. um, And you have really given us so much great information. And with that, I want to leave you with this. You never lose in business. Either you win or you learn. God bless everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with Melinda Emerson. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and join us next Wednesday for more fantastic information and interviews. You can find more sources and small business success strategies by visiting Melinda's website, succeedasyourownboss.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.